great. Thank you so much. Um, we get to do things always just a little bit different as we figure things out, right? So, um, so, so happy to be here with you today. My name is Lori Haas, and there's nothing better than worshiping God together in this community of faith. So um, thank you. God is so good, and he has great plans for us right here. I understand that while I was on vacation that Steve and Joe did a joint sermon and that they shared the plans of Joe's new church and that they named me the new leader of the garden. That will teach me to go away on vacation. <laughs> Actually, um, of course, I knew about it. Um, God has been stretching me and growing me and shaping me for a time just like this. I finished my coursework at seminary in January and I, couldn't, I can say that I couldn't be more thrilled than to be with you here in the garden. And when I say thrilled, I mean the kind of thrill like riding on the Millennium Roller Coaster like I did in Cedar Point this summer. You climb up this mountain in a tiny little car with no guardrails, no sides. Basically, you're on a little box car with wheels that gets up to 93 miles per hour on the edge of a cliff. The whole way up, I'm thinking, I shouldn't be doing this. This is not a good idea. I hate my family for making me do this. I think we're all going to die. I think I'm going to throw up. This is not good. This is not good. And then, oh my gosh, it is the ride of your life. We are laughing and screaming we go through dark tunnels and twists and turns, and it is the most exciting thing that you've ever done. And at the end of it, you go, whew, let's do that again. Oh. That's the kind of adventure that God calls all of us on. It's a little risky, it's a little scary, but it's never boring, and it's always, always worth it. And I know that God has an awesome ride planned for us right here in the garden. But I also know that roller coasters are scary. They make us feel uncomfortable. They make us feel uncertain. So I want to assure you, you are in good hands. We are part, I was thinking of Dottie, sorry. We are a part of this great loving family at Church of the Palms where serving others and mission work is in our DNA. We have an amazing children's director, Carol, Carol Homeister, radiates God's love in her warmth and kindness. Here she is with her family in Michigan last summer. You just met Jacob and his family. Jacob has an enthusiasm and a love for Christ that is contagious. He is inheriting some of the finest students that you will ever meet. Mm. Yeah, that's so true. You know that we are cared for and prayed for by our funny and sweet Pastor Mingy, who loves to laugh and cook and entertain. We have the amazing Carolyn Wilson, who loves God and all of us with all of her heart. She plans our adult educational opportunities, small groups, and leadership. We also have Amy McCullough, who has unparalleled gifts in administration and finance. And she is loyal, compassionate, and so, so nice. She brings this deep faith to everything that she does. 
And of course, we all consider ourselves beyond blessed to be serving side by side with our head of staff, Steve McConnell. He is smart, funny, kind, and always after God's own heart. So we have an exciting season ahead of us. So if you need to talk, process, prayer, wonder, and explore, take a minute and write down these numbers. These are our cell phone numbers. This is your leadership team at Church of the Palms who loves God, who loves you, and who loves this church, and we are here for you. The elders who are shepherding the garden specifically are Al Jeffrey and Bill Mallet. They are here for you. The garden leadership team meets monthly to guide the garden. They're here for you too. Friends, God has, God has not left the building. We are in good hands. We just formed a team to start searching for the worship leader, and we will be interviewing candidates for that. We so appreciate Jordan and Al and Joe who have been filling in for us in the interim. So as you know, Joe is launching a new church right here in Sarasota called Grace Life. This is the adventure that God is calling Joe on. This is a dream that Steve McConnell had for years about launching something from the garden. He just didn't know what it was going to be or what it was going to look like. So we are providing seed money to help Joe and his team launch, and we are praying God's richest blessings on him and his entire team. And I saw on Facebook that Megan Mooney is joining Joe as the worship leader. You know, and I know, that Megan had to be using her gifts So praise God. Friends, we are here for you at Church of the Palms, and Joe is here for you at Grace Life just down the street. It's all good. It's all for the glory of God. It's all for God's kingdom. So if you know right now that you want to be a part of Grace Life, you know what we say to that? God bless you. And if you know right now that Church of the Palms is your faith family and your home, you know what we say to that? God bless you. And if you're curious and wondering about where you might worship God next, you know what I say to that? Pray. And that's what leads us to our scripture passage for this day. Coincidence? I think not. This is the passage from the um, Revised Common Lectionary for July 24th, 2016, and it comes to us from the Gospel of Luke, chapter 11, verses 1 through 13. And I asked Bill Mallet uh, to come up and read this for us, because Bill got so much sleep last night on that bus coming home from Montreat, he couldn't wait to see how his eyes work. There you go. Good morning. <laughs> so in our scripture this morning, he was praying in a certain place. And after he had finished, one of the disciples said to him, Lord, teach us to pray as John taught his disciples. He said to them, when you pray, say, Father, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Mm-hmm. Give us each day our daily bread and forgive us our sins. For we ourselves forgive everyone indebted to us. And do not bring us to the time of trial. And he said to them, Suppose one of you has a friend, and you go to him at midnight and say, Friend, lend me three loaves of bread, for a friend of mine has arrived, and I have nothing to set before him. And he answers from within, Do not bother me. 
The door has already been locked and my children are with me in bed. I cannot get up and give you anything. Mm -hmm. I tell you, even though he will not get up and give him anything because he is his friend, at least because of his persistence, he will get up and give him whatever he needs. So I say to you, ask and it will be given you. Search and you will find. Knock and the door will be opened for you. For everyone who asks and everyone who searches and everyone who knocks, the door will be open. Is there anyone among you who, if your child asks for a fish, give a snake instead of a fish? Or if the child asks for an egg, will you give a scorpion? If you then, who are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will the Heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask it? Thank you. Let us pray. Gracious God, we lay our lives before your word, asking for your Holy Spirit to be among us, to open our hearts and minds, to reach us with the message you intend for each one of us to hear this day. Amen. So you know there are always a lot of takeaways from a Bible passage, right? I think it's why the Bible never gets old, because every time you read it, Depending on where you are in life, you might hear a new truth for your life. So this passage is great because it gives us this model for prayer. Actually, the model and prayer that we typically use for the Lord's Prayer is found in Matthew 6, 9 through 13. This is the King James Version, which is the one I memorized as a kid, and maybe it's the one that some of you memorized as well. But let's read this together or pray this together. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. So the model for this prayer is actually fairly simple. First, God is our Father and King who loves us. God is way above everybody else and he deserves our heartfelt worship and praise. Second, after acknowledging the character of God, we pray for his purposes, his kingdom and will to be done. Then, we not only desire God's will on a grand scale, like heaven and earth, but we also need it on that smaller scale of our lives. We need to look to God for our daily needs, spiritual, practical, relational, emotional, and physical. One of our biggest needs is forgiveness. Without God's forgiveness, we are dead in sin. With his forgiveness, we are made alive in Christ, because we are forgiven, we are called to forgive. Forgiveness restores our fellowship with God and with others. We then can obey the command that God gives us to love God and love neighbor. This final request to lead us not into temptation but to, live, but to deliver us from evil demonstrates a heart that is eager to please God, and we ask him to keep us from harm. And then we conclude our prayers with a reminder of God's ultimate control, his great power, 
and that our life is for his glory. So this is a wonderful model, right, that gives us this framework for how to pray. But I wonder if two important things are hidden within this model. First, I think that seeking God's will, thy will be done, calls for some silence on our part. That is, we have to listen to God probably more than we have to yammer at him. You know, there's that old joke by Lily Tomlin that she says, why is it that when we talk to God, it's said to be praying, but when God talks to us, we're called schizophrenic? Dan Rather, who is a CBS anchor, once asked Mother Teresa what she said during her prayers. She answered, I listen. So Mr. Rather turned the question around and he said, well then what does God say? To that, Mother Teresa smiled with confidence and answered, he listens. Listening is one of the greatest acts of love that we can give each other. I fell in love with my husband at a kitchen table because he just listened to me, and I think it had been a really long time since I felt listened to. Dietrich Bonhoeffer was a German Lutheran pastor and theologian who was executed by Hitler's henchmen just before the end of World War II. In his book, Life Together, Bonhoeffer wrote, the first service that one owes to others in the fellowship consists in listening to them. Just as love of God begins with listening to his word, so the beginning of love of the brethren begins with listening to him. It is God's love for us that he not only gives us his word, but also lends us his ear. Christians, especially ministers, so often think that they must always contribute something when they are in the company of others. That this is the one service they have to render. They forget that listening can be a greater service than speaking. Many people who have an ear that will listen, then he can no longer listen to his brother, will soon no longer be listening to God either. This is the beginning of the death of spiritual life. And second, right after that listening, I think is this, that other hidden truth in that model of prayer, and that is prayer is all about relationship. Think about your relationship with your best friend. You probably spend time together. You trust them with your deepest secrets, your disappointments, your frustrations, and they're the first person that you would call when something good happens. You know that you can be your true, authentic self, and your best friend is always going to love you. But you maintain that friendship by having contact. You call, or text, or write, or email, and visit. So I imagine that that friendship, that best friend that you have, isn't dominated by one person doing all the talking. It's more of a give and take of talking, of listening, and sharing. So I wonder if the mantra for our prayer life maybe should be to show up, share, and then shut up. Sorry, Mom. We didn't get to say that in my house. We have to meet regularly if we're going to maintain a relationship with God. So we have to show up. We have to share what is really on our hearts 
so that God knows who we are, so that we are our true, authentic self, because it is in being known that you're truly loved. And then we have to listen to offer that same kind of love and consideration for our friend as he offers to us. David Lowe's is the president of Lutheran Theological Seminary in Philadelphia. And he asks this question. How would we act if our prayers were offered to God confidently, trusting that God will respond so much more generously than any earthly parent? Well, let's take a look at verse 13 again. If you then, who are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will a heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? Oops, ask him, excuse me. Mm. Perhaps then we wouldn't just sit back and wait for God to answer, but we would start moving. We would get to work. We would actually start living into the reality of what we've prayed for. So rather than just praying for someone who is lonely, maybe we would go visit. Rather than just praying for an end to violence, maybe we'd campaign against the legality of military-grade semi-automatic weapons or protest when police use unnecessary force, or go visit the police station to tell officers how grateful we are for their service and that we are praying for their safety. We can pray confidently that the God who came in Jesus understands our hurts and our disappointments because that same God took them on. Because God in Jesus not only endured the life we lived, but died the death that awaits us and was raised again to show that even death does not have the last and final word and that all things are possible with God. And so we pray with confidence, trusting that if we know how to give good gifts to our children, how much more will God give us as we embrace God's Holy Spirit and live as well as speak and listen in our prayers? Friends, today we gather as a faith family around this table that Jesus provided for us in his grace and his love. After you come forward to receive communion, we're going to invite you to go to one of the prayer stations. There's one up here, and then there's one in the back. We'd ask that you pick up a prayer sheet, and you'll notice at the top of it are the logos for the garden, for Church of the Palms, and for Grace Life. And we ask that you hold the, these churches and their people in your prayers. And then you'll find, unfortunately, a way too long list of all the victims that, we have, that have died senselessly just this summer. And I am sorry to say that you have to add Munich, Germany at the bottom of this list. What we'd ask you to do when you go over to the table, that you light a candle to signify that Jesus is the light of the world and that his light doesn't just stay here, but it goes out with us. And it might also be helpful to start at the top. We'll have assistance there to light those first and then work your way down. So when you say your prayer, whether it's speaking or whether it's listening, 
It's all good, and God so desperately wants to hear those prayers, friends, because he wants that relationship with us. Friends, this is the Lord's table. <clears throat> Jesus prepared this table for all of us, those who believe in him, and we are welcome to come from the east 